speaking to them personally as they seek your face. I pray for me today, God, that you would help me not to just preach another message, not just to regurgitate some information, but that I would hear a prophetic whisper and tailor make this message for the people that are here this morning. And more than anything, Jesus, as you invade our space, I pray, God, as I preach, please, Jesus, oh, God, help me not to be boring. And I pray for the people that are here today that you do something in them and help them not to be boring either. In Jesus' name. And everyone said... How many people think that's a good deal? I think it's a pretty good deal. <laughs> have you ever done anything, just by your hands, have you ever done anything that, that once you did it, you immediately thought to yourself, I'm an incredibly stupid person. Anybody ever done that? Been in a situation where you thought that? Uh, some years ago, I was, I was up visiting my parents. Mum and dad uh, live in uh, Townsville in North Queensland. And so I was visiting them. I was in my 20s. And I found my, my old bowling ball. Now, when I was 13, I was into 10-pin bowling. And I was pretty good, actually. I was like the, uh, the Victorian state champion in that age bracket at 10-pin bowling. Not a big skill you need right up there with marbles and crochet. Uh, but, um, but, but anyway, so I got my ball out. And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if it still fits. I wonder if it still like, works. I wonder if I've still got, got the skills. So I'm in the lounge room, and I've got my bowling ball. Put it in my hand, and it feels pretty good. And for whatever reason, I, 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 I can't tell you what I was thinking, probably nothing. And I started to do this motion, started a vision, this, this motion, and, uh, and, I, and, and apparently it didn't fit <laughs> because it launched off my hand. And then with laser-like precision, headed directly to my mother's favorite vase. I can't say that it was mine, favorite vase. I wouldn't even say that it was probably my dad's favorite vase. To be honest with you, I don't even think the bowling ball liked the vase because I swear to you, just before it hit it, the ball looked back at me and went. And then it connected. And that bad boy, the vase, exploded into like bajillions of pieces. There were large fragments of vase. There were medium fragments of vase, small fragments of vase, vase dust all over the lounge room carpet. It was a disaster. And immediately at that point, I had empathy with all the king's horses and all the king's men who thought, we're having scrambled eggs today. <laughs> Pastor Sam already alluded, or talked, not alluded, talked about uh, Isaiah 61. It was the passage of Scripture uh, that Jesus turned to uh, on what we would see as his first message. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus stands in the synagogue where he'd been brought up, hometown boy, hometown synagogue, uh, launching his ministry. And somebody hands him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he opens it. He spends some time looking through, and, and then he starts to make this declaration of his ministry. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to preach. In other words, this is why I'm here. This is my mandate. This is my, this is my mission. This is my purpose. And every phrase that he makes uh, in the Hebrew 
has allegory, has story, has a picture description backing it to help us understand a little bit more of the context and the meaning of the words that he's trying to say. So he's trying to like, it's not just a meaning, the language tries to get you to see a picture form so you really get it. One of the first things that Jesus said was that he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Now that word brokenhearted, the picture behind that is of a vase that's been smashed into so many pieces that when you look at it, you think to yourself, there is no way we can get this thing back together. If you've ever been really broken, if you've ever been really hurt, you may have experienced that feeling. Am I ever going to be whole again? Am I ever going to be different again? Am I always going to hurt like this? What's my future like? Can I trust again? Can I love again? Can I embrace again? Where, where do I go from here? And Jesus said, my mission, my mandate, in my top six things I'm going to do, on, on planet earth. I've been sent to heal the brokenhearted people. I'm here to tell you today that if you experience relational brokenness, that the mandate of Jesus is to get you whole. The mandate of Jesus, like no matter how devastating it may feel, no matter how devastating it may appear, you look back at your life, like I looked at the vase on the floor and you look at yourself, it's just too hopeless to ever be any different than this. And Jesus said, I have come to heal the brokenhearted. I've come to put the pieces back together and make you whole again. I sincerely believe that if it's a mission of Jesus to heal brokenhearted people, it should be the mandate and the mission of the church to provide an atmosphere and teaching and an environment where people who are broken get, can get healed. Does anybody believe that? With Sometimes we're really, really, Brother George. Oh, I'm coming down. I'm coming down. Brother George, my, my little Hindu friend. And uh, I don't know if you know George. He's, he's trying to establish the Ipswich state. Um, in, anyway, no, just, sorry. The Ipswich, Ipswich, anyway, that's wrong. I probably shouldn't have said that. But it was there in my head and it just popped out. I apologize for those moments. Uh, they could happen at random times. <laughs> so, and so I believe it's a mandate of, the, of God. It should be the mandate of the church to provide an atmosphere where broken people get healed. Um, it's a sad reality in life that, that we at some point may potentially, if you haven't already, uh, walk through a place of relational brokenness. It'd be cool if it didn't. But, uh, we, we, you know, you just can be in that state where it's like, you hang up. <laughs> no, you hang up. No, no, you, you, you hang up. I can't, you hang up. Well, I'll, uh, I'll count to three and we hang up together. One. Two. Three. Are you there? <laughs> it, it can go from you hang up to somebody hanging up forever. My wife, Anna, was married uh, to Rich for two years. They had what we would probably call in youth ministry and church life the stereotypical perfect Christian dating experience. The whole I've kissed dating goodbye, purity vow, had a purity covenant ring. They didn't even kiss ever, not once. They didn't kiss until they stood on there on, at the altar 
making their wedding vows. Now, as cool as that sounds, I don't recommend that. I, I just personally, because what happens if you kiss? It's like, it's like kissing a watermelon or something. It's like, like there's nothing there. That, that would be a bad point right there. I'm not feeling it right now. See you. So anyway, but, but they had the stereotypes, everything. And, and so they got married. They were young, straight in the ministry. God bless them. Uh, they're leading a youth ministry in a mega church. Everything about their world is a fairy tale story in love and life and in ministry. They shoot off to Washington, D.C. Uh, for their second wedding anniversary. And they're coming back uh, to Munster, Indiana. Rich is preaching that Wednesday night. And uh, about 45 minutes away from home, Rich fell asleep at the wheel and flipped the car, wasn't wearing a seatbelt, was thrown out of the vehicle. When Anna sort of came to consciousness and looked out the window, there was the love of her life lying on the freeway, dead. August 22, 2001, Anna went into what I would call a relational flatline. I was married to Anne for nearly 20 years. Now, for all the C-type personalities, the detail people, ADD people miss this completely. Uh, but you may notice that I was married to an Anne. I'm now married to an Anna. That was strategic because uh, I didn't want to have to change the tattoo all that much. There was a Beryl who thought was, I thought was pretty hot, but that was never going to happen. I was married to Anne for nearly 20 years, and we were, from what I could, would think, were like at the best part of life. We just moved over to Seattle, Washington, just based in a phenomenal church at Champion Center, and uh, three beautiful daughters, and lived in a phenomenal house. And, you know, for my thinking, everything was amazing, uh, but apparently not. And, I'm going to cut a long story into a short story, so you're going to try to, I'm not giving you the complete context of everything, but pretty much she went back to New Zealand to sell a house that we had there, and we're going to put that money back in the house that we just purchased in America, and when she went there, uh, she called me, and again, I'm shortening something down to a statement, so please give some latitude and some grace here, but, but she pretty much said, I don't want to be married to you, I, I don't want to be in ministry, I, I don't want to live in America, and I'm in a relationship with another man. And I'm, I know I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, I'm, but, but I never saw it coming. And immediately, in a situation I never thought I'd be walking through, uh, my life ended into a relational flatline. I'm navigating my own emotions and now become a solo dad with three very wonderful girls and trying to raise them up and trying to lead them through the situation so that they wouldn't be broken and hurt and wounded and angry either and managing my own relational flatline and my uh, daughter's relational flatline. My dad has been married to my mom for uh, coming up to 66 years. Yeah, you can, it's more like a whoa! You can even give him a round of applause right now. And then, because um, if like you knew my mother, if you knew my mother, it'd be like, he's the man. He's, he's the man. I, I love my mother, but she's scary. Um, she's like 86 now. And I'm still scared of my mother. Like, seriously, she like wills that nun, uh, walker like a nunchuck. And so um, she doesn't have a walker. But I really, I'm really brave when I'm not around her. I, I usually paint her up with a beer and a cigarette. And she'll, she'll hear my message. Like, That's not me. Yeah, it's, it's you when I'm talking about you. And so, 
And then she elbows me to the face. And so they've been, they've been married for uh, yeah, nearly 66 years. And I know two or three years ago, maybe a little bit more, they'll be longer than that. Uh, we, we noticed uh, dementia started to affect my mom. And my dad took on being the caregiver to her. And two years ago, I believe it was around Christmas, uh, my uh, father nearly had, nearly died pretty much. He had what they would call a caregiver's burnout. And so we had to put my mom into a home. And, and now my dad is, is home alone and experiencing uh, the, the trauma and the tragedy of walking into a, a, a hospital environment uh, to see his wife of all those years, who sometimes recalls that he is her husband, uh, most of the times thinks that he is her brother or a stranger. And, and if recently, he's had to walk in and see my mom sitting, and who's a godly woman, uh, sitting uh, holding the hands of another man. And so right now I try to come home as much as I can to help my dad uh, navigate his own personal relational flatline. Sir, give me this water that I may not draw nor thirst nor come here to draw. In other words, I am here. I'd like to get away from here, but I don't know how to move from here. I'm here, and every time I come here, it reminds me of why I am here. I feel locked, I feel bound, I feel like I can't escape, I can't move. And if you've got a ticket, if you've got a key, if you've got a way that can open up a path for me to get out of here, if you've got living water and I don't have to drink this, this well water, if I don't have to come back to this well again, if I can have that, that living water, I, I would love to get out of here. And, and then we find out the why. She says, I have five husbands and the guy that she's with right now is not her husband. Now, there's all sorts of conjecture about this lady. We like to do that, somebody we've never met and in a situation that doesn't give much description. But I've heard all sorts of conjecture and preaching. Right? This is a really you know, loose, like, sort of like a hussy, you know, you've got all these dudes, keep her away, she's bad. You know? uh, theologians believe that there's a high chance that this woman was actually barren. She couldn't have children. And so once she would get married, the dude would find out that she can't have kids, and so he would divorce her. I really think it doesn't really matter uh, why it, it more than it happened. I've been doing ministry a long time. That helped a lot of people. And if she's been through five divorces, the guy that she's with right now is not her husband. This is a woman that's experienced pain. This is a woman that's experienced brokenness. We don't know her story, but no temptation or experience comes upon us that is not common to man. And so I can just imagine from the people that I've met who have similar stories to her, that this woman has been broken and hurting and she's stuck and she doesn't know how to get out of there. When Paul was writing on relationships in Hebrews chapter 12, he makes this statement, he says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. In, in other words, the only person you can control in a situation is often you. The only person that you, you can't always decide what somebody else is gonna do. You, you can't really stop somebody hurting you. The only decision that you can make is that you're not gonna be hurt. I can't stop you hurting me but I, I can control whether I'm going to be hurt. Getting hurt is something that happens. Being hurt is a decision to stay there. And so he's like, as far as it depends on you, you're going to get to that place where you overcome no matter what people throw at you. 
Now, when Eugene Peterson was looking at the Scripture and interpreting it and researching it and rewriting it in the Message Bible, he, he, he put it like this. He says, keep a sharp eye out for the weeds of bitter discontent. A thistle or two gone to seed can ruin a whole garden in no time. So saying, when, when you walk through brokenness and you walk through hurt, you've got to guard the garden of your heart. The Bible says to guard your heart because out of it come the issues of life. So your heart comes under attack, but you've got to protect it. Why? Because when the seeds of bitterness get in, they are seeds that release weeds. They are seeds that release thistles and thorns. And how many of you know, your garden at home needs no encouragement for weeds to grow. You need to do nothing. Just let it go and the weeds will grow themselves. The thorns will grow themselves. And so he's saying here, if you don't deal with the broken situations, if you don't deal with the, pain, the, the, the seeds of bitterness will get in and next thing your heart will be overgrown with weeds and thorns and briars. You start to see yourself through the reflection of that image. My uncle Ray uh, purchased a farm in Newcastle when I was about 10. I was a little kid. I remember going up with my mom and my dad. It's my mother's uh, eldest brother and or one of the older brothers and my two cousins. And we went on the back of a truck. And the only thing I can recall from the land was that it was covered in weeds. It was very ugly. Uh, and, and scotch thistles. I just remember scotch thistles everywhere. We had like cane knives. We were walloping these things down. And uh, it wasn't, he didn't own it real long until they, they discovered coal on the property. And it turned my uncle into like a very, very wealthy man overnight. He's my favorite uncle. <laughs> if you happen to be listening to this or watching it on, I love you, Uncle Ray. Always have, always will. I'm your favorite nephew. And, uh, they're still digging coal out of that property. They've negotiated yields of what they'll take out in the year 2095. Somebody sold it to him. Wouldn't you feel like an idiot if you were that guy? <laughs> There's some dumb things you can do, like my whole bowling ball thing. Oh, I'm a bit dumb. But I didn't have a property that I sold to somebody that made them a millionaire. <laughs> Why would you sell the property? Because you didn't know what was beneath the surface. Why would you sell the property? Because the property was ugly. It's full of thorns and thistles. It doesn't seem very valuable because you know what was beneath the surface. So when you just see it as unvaluable, you sell it out cheap. Yeah. I was talking on Friday night to the young people here. I was telling them a story of a youth event I was doing in New Plymouth in New Zealand and had an altar call. We were praying for people at the front. Stacks of kids were down there. This girl walked down to, to the front for prayer and she was drop dead gorgeous. Could have been a model. Just, just very, very beautiful, pretty girl. Sort of girl that when she walks in the room, all the other girls are like, <laughs> and so I said to her, hey, sweetheart, what do you want prayer for? And she said, oh, she started telling me this story about all the things her boyfriend was doing to her. And he was just an abusive jerk. And I'm like, you don't need prayer. Dump him. Just give him the flick. Like, why are you even staying in a relationship with him? And she looks at me and she starts to weep. I can't. I'm like, why can't you? Because no one will love me. Well, why won't anybody love you? Because I'm so ugly. And I'm like, 
but you're not ugly. You're really pretty. When she did the like crying thing, she wasn't really good at that point. I swear to you, when her face was screwed up, there were like five young Christian girls saying, let the wind change, Jesus. Let the wind change. The wind change now. Stick it to stay. 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 <laughs> I don't think the way you look is a qualifier for abuse. But I remember walking away thinking to myself, who did that to her? Who hurt her so much that the weeds of bitter discontent were so overgrown of who she is that she so devalued herself. She didn't realize the riches of who she had. So she just sold herself out the cheapest bidder. If looking through a glass, half empty or half full, constitutes the way you see life, the outcomes of life, I'd suggest to you that when you look through a life of the glass that's been smashed, there's so many pieces that you don't know how to see it properly, that it's going to have a bigger impact. All the king's horses and all the king's men may not ever have been able to put the life back together again. But thankfully, we don't have to run to the king's horses or the king's men. We've got the king. And the king's in our world. He provides a way. He's come to heal the broken heart. How many people believe that that is really, really, really good news? I have three beautiful daughters. And so I've experienced the movie Frozen on multiple occasions. And found myself at point times, not wanting to, but... Singing, let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go. It's a pretty song, but unbelievably depressing. Like, it's not positive. It's not like a good, oh, let it go stuff. No, it's like, here's somebody who's hurting, who lets go of all the wrong stuff, like relationships and family, and finds herself isolated and frozen out of relationships. Sometimes when we walk through brokenness, we let go of stuff, but we let go of the wrong stuff. I, I, I want to encourage you this morning. I'm going to give you a couple of things that I believe that if you can let go of these things, it can bring healing into your life. The first thing that I would suggest to you is, is that you've got to let go of the pushback. When you get hurt, there's a natural tendency in our life to push back. Isolation feels very comfortable. But while isolation may feel comfortable, isolation is never helpful. We, we want to push back. We want to avoid people. We push back sometimes because of the shame. We just feel embarrassed. We're not really sure how people are going to view us. I walked through a divorce as a pastor. That just seemed to me to be like a double whammy. I've helped people navigate that for themselves and seeing how broken they are. But for me, I'm walking through the brokenness of that and then the view of like, how, how, what will this devalue? Will I have any authority? Like, it, that's like, and, and so it was so much shame. I didn't really want to uh, connect with people because I was so embarrassed about the situation. And so we try to avoid, we, 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 let, we, we push back. And this was definitely true for me and, and, and for Anna. But we push back because we, we, we don't want to have to tell a story all over again. What's the first thing that Jesus says to this woman? Where's your husband? And she immediately responds with, I don't have one. I, I guarantee her, her mind is like, ah, why'd you have to ask me that question? Because that's why she's at the well at that time. You gotta understand she's at the well alone at the sixth hour, which is noon. She's at the well alone at noon, women didn't go to the well alone, number one. Number two, women didn't go to the well at noon. They went early in the morning or in the cool of the evening. 
You're not, she's not down there with a little bucket. She's got a giant earthen water pot that she's going to carry on her head back to the home. So you don't do that. And because CrossFit wasn't even invented back then, she's not like doing water pot lunges all the way back to her home. I've got some water. I'm going to get fit. You know, I'm gonna, we're gonna, no, she wasn't like, like she was at the well alone because she's trying to avoid everybody. Why is she trying to avoid everybody? Because she doesn't want to get asked that question again. Where's your husband? Oh, let me tell you about story number one. What a jerk. He's from New South Wales. <laughs> He's always depressed. Never win at anything. <laughs> then he'd come home, he'd have a twoies. Doesn't even taste like beer. <laughs> do you want to tell the story again? I, I wanted to avoid people. Because I don't have to tell the story. Because every time I told the story, it just brings up unbelievable pain. I'm going to go into events, conferences. I'm just like, oh no. Because I, I knew people wanted to know. I don't want to tell the story because I want to bring up the pain. I didn't want to tell the story because I didn't want to listen to their opinion. Oh, people mean to be nice, but oh my gosh, people can say, really stupid things. I just want to avoid hearing the stupid things because I don't handle stupid things well. Not that they upset me, but usually I respond with, oh, that's really stupid. <laughs> like you don't even believe that. That's the dumbest thing I've heard all day. Something wrong with your brain. Like seriously, that's me. I don't mean to be like that. But I remember somebody come and say, well, it had to be both of your fault. It takes two. It takes two to make a divorce. I'm like, that's a stupid statement that you don't, don't even believe. Oh, yes, I do. Uh, no, you don't. Oh, yes, I do. Uh, no, you don't. Can I test it? Yes. Thank you. So when Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden and went through a divorce with God, in essence, so that was not all Adam and Eve's fault. Is that like God a part of that? You need to tell him. When a third of the angels left heaven, type of divorce, was that or, or Beelzebub, Satan's fault? Was, was, when God wrote a bill of divorcement against the nation of Israel, when God wrote a bill of divorcement against the nation of Israel, it couldn't have been all Israel's fault. Sure, it had to be a part of God's fault. Like, if you believe that, go and tell him. Now, I'm going to have the same conversation. Oh, I think it takes two, God. It's like, I will strike you with boils. <laughs> I remember what they'd say to Anna. So Anna, Anna's husband died. And so they would come up and they would bleed all over her. Like here's the woman grieving the loss of her husband. Oh my God! Ah! And they hug her. Oh, you must be in pain. And they'd be just like boogering all over it. And, 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 and you know, or they'd come up and like, I know why, why it happened. God, God just wanted him in heaven and wanted to run down the streets of gold together. And like all of that sounds stupid when you're hurting. So it's just better to avoid. Because she's got five husbands that she's got to walk through the reason. Proverbs 17, verse 17 says, A friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for the day of adversity. Some person's destiny is actually connected to your adversity. 
The purpose God places them in your life for is that when you hurt, they're a part of the process of healing. So when we avoid people, when we, when we move away from people, we avoid the people that God is gonna put in our life to bring healing. Uh, I, I, I went through a depression. I was down, I was hurting. You gotta understand, I am not a depressed. This was a very, very unusual feeling for me. I'm a fairly highly wired, woohoo, sort of guy. What you see on the stage, this is pretty much me all my life. Like, like, I don't know how to explain it, but it's like, like in my head, it's like a circus. Uh, what, it's like, duh, duh, duh. and so it's like information pops in, and it's like Oompa Loompas run from here, whoa, woohoo, and they grab the information, and they throw it up to clowns on a trapeze, duh, 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 duh. and then they get it, and they, it's just like, that's my head, woo, which I think is really, really funny. Because my mother-in-law has her doctorate in clinical psychology from Wheaton. My father-in-law is now just doing his uh, last part of his doctorate in theology uh, from uh, another established uh, union. My wife is doing her uh, master's in global leadership from Fuller Theological Seminary. And there's me (laughs) from Townsville, Heatley High School. Nearly made it out of grade 10. Not quite. Not quite. I was close. I was close. And they were like, sir, would you please leave? I just think God looked at their life and said, they are unbelievably smart. But they need some entertainment. Have John Morgan. But I hit a wall. I was depressed. I want to go to work. I want to talk to people. It's hiding out. And then two young men, Kent Muncy, Marcus Meekham, flew into town just to hang out. A part of their destiny was to lift me out of my adversity. I don't know when it broke. Uh, in, in, somewhere in that time when we were just hanging out, it lifted off me. Started making the journey out of it. You hide from people. You hide from the people that God wants to put in your life. To. It's the second thing. is You've got to let go of the pullback. When you walk through that, you... You, you start to think to yourself, uh, is, is there any hope for my future? Can I, me, it was like, is anybody ever going to ask me to preach again? What, what's my ministry life? I'm a chef by trade. Do I have to go back cooking? Uh, is anybody going to love me again? I wasn't a young guy. and walking through. To, like, am I ever going to have a relationship? Again? Where, where am I at? Am I ever going to like myself again? How, how do I move from here? I want to encourage you that if Jesus is waiting for you at the well, all is going to be well. Because technically, the only person who should have been doing any avoiding in this story is Jesus. Because she's shocked. Why is it that you, being a Jew, ask from me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Because the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Let me unpack that for you a little bit. If a Jewish man was here, and, and he is journeying, let's say, to the last monitor on the stage. And the pulpit, the podium there, is Samaria. They would never walk a straight line 
because they would have to go through Samaria. What they would do would be they would avoid it and they would go way out of their way just to avoid going anywhere. They don't want to go anywhere. That They consider the Samaritan race inferior. They consider the, the uh, Samaritan race dirty. They don't want to talk to them. They're not interested. And so they're going to go miles out of their journey just to avoid going anywhere near Samaria. And, and so that's what, but Jesus, he walked straight from there and he said, I must go to Samaria gets at the well and then sits at the well, talks to this woman. He shouldn't be talking to this woman. She's shocked because a Jewish rabbi shouldn't talk to a woman in public. Then he asked her for a drink of water. She's shocked because he doesn't have a glass, which means he has to use her utensils. The statement, Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans, says this. It means Jews don't use the same utensils. You don't use the same cups, the same plates, the same knives, the same forks. Why? Because you consider them to be dirty, filthy, because we've touched them. So why is it that you, Jew, shouldn't be here, shouldn't be talking to me, what a drink, and, and you shouldn't even drink, I'm the only one with a cup here. Because Jesus doesn't avoid, he puts himself right there. If Jesus is at the well, He was sitting at the well waiting for her. A little bit like in the book of Genesis, when Jacob's running from his brother that wants to kill him, left his dad that's going to die. He's a mummy's boy, might not see her again. Comes to this place called Luz. And when he gets there, he's like, man, I'm on my own. No one cares. I'm hurt. I'm scared for my life. My brother may kill me at any point. And he's there alone and he goes to sleep and God speaks to him. When he wakes up, he says, God is here and I didn't even know it. Like God was here waiting for me, just waiting for me to go to sleep so I could get my eyes off my situation and He could show up and let me know that He loves me. I'm here to tell you, if Jesus is at the well, everything is going to be well. I was at a, a conference in Arizona, ILM conference in Arizona, a whole heap of friends. And it was, everything was just fresh. The whole divorce thing was just still fresh. And I, 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 I was just feeling lonely and confused. And, and I, still, you know, I was in one of those moments where I was a little bit ticked with God. Like, how'd that happen? And I remember saying to God, God, I know I'm not the perfect man. I, I, know, I, I know, I'm a leader, I'm a strong leader, so I know I can be a jerk. But the reality is I've got friends of mine, massively bigger jerks than me, and their wives stayed. I just, like, I was just like, it just seems so unfair and unrighteous, you know? But I remember being out at this pool with all my friends off with their families, and I never felt so alone. Never felt so alone. And I can't explain technically how it happened. But I'm going to walk and feel lonely. And I just walked along and I, and I felt like I walked into the presence of God. It was like, almost, the only way I could vision it is like God standing here with his hands wide open. You know, and I'm like, oh, I'm so depressed. And it was like I walked in and he just wrapped his arms around me. And all of a sudden I felt the presence of God. I remember standing there thinking to myself, you were waiting for me. You were waiting for me here. You knew I'd be here. You knew I'd be out of the pool on my own. If you knew I'd be here, you knew why I'd be here. If you knew why I'd be here, you'd know I'd be walking through all this. If you knew I was walking through that, you knew all that on this side where you were telling me where I'm going to be in my life and I'm not there yet. So if you knew it then and you know that I'd walk through here, then you knew I'd be here, then you're going to be with me tomorrow because you are the same yesterday today. And forever, I'm here to tell you today that if Jesus is the well, everything is well. That He is waiting for you. He's here today because you knew that you were going to be in, in, in church. If Jesus is at the well, 
He is the, the God of the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Let me just give you two more things. Maybe the keyboard player can come up, play something unbelievably romantic. And You've got to avoid the, the payback. Don't, don't get angry. A- angry is a, a wasted emotion. You know they say that you lose nearly 20% of your intelligence when you're angry? I can't afford, I can't afford to be angry. <laughs> I'd be like in a deficit. How much intelligence has John got? Oh, last time we counted, when he was angry, it was minus 10. <laughs> Proverbs 4, 23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, because out of it spring the issues of life. When Israel walked out of the bondage of Egypt, they had to come to a river called Mara. It meant bitterness. And they had to deal with the, with the, with the bitterness. With the bit, just hold the keys just for one second because I'll get lost and get too romantic. Just hold one second. I'll, I'll give you a, a, a thumbs up when we go. What, what key are we going to play in because I can change my key right now? B, I was preaching in D, so I'll just go to B. <laughs> just, just, no, 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 just, I'll give you the, and they had to, they had to, they had to deal with the bitterness before they could move on to the streams of Elam. And that's like us. We've got to, you, you've got to, you've got to deal with the hurt and the pain. And sometimes you've just got to forgive. And it's like, oh, I don't get it. I'm not happy about it. Um, I, I have no resentment, hate, any, any uh, bad feelings towards my, my ex-wife. And I make sure that my children don't. I remember when, the, when we first were walking through this, I sat my two oldest girls down because Brooke was too young. I said, girls, what mummy did is not about you. She, she, doesn't, she loves you. She's for you. This, this is about us. You, now you're going to feel the pain of that. I said, but here's what I want you to do. You've got to keep loving your mum. You've got to keep trusting your mum. She's always going to be a mum. Uh, but, but what you've got to do is you've got to forgive and you've got to let it go if it feels hurt, if you feel pain. I said, because if you get in your 20s and you're angry and bitter and you try to blame your mum for this, you've got to understand that won't be her fault. That'd be your fault because you harbored it. You held on to it. Right here, right now, you're going to make a decision. This will not define you as children. This will not define you as young women. And, and, and if I'll help you. I'll coach you. I'll do whatever I can to make sure that you, get on, you, you, you can't get angry. Now, the good news of that is both my eldest daughters have progressed. They've got great, all my girls have got great relationships with their mother. My two eldest girls are on staff at Champion Center in Tacoma, Washington, one doing children's ministry and one as an assistant pastor, an assistant to the pastor, uh, just to be able to navigate. You've got to let, you can't be angry. You can't be bitter. You've you got you to forgive as hard as that sounds. But we received undeserved favor from God and we've got to give undeserved favor back to other people. The last thought, you've got, you got to avoid the playback. Your brain will just play stuff over and over and over. The more it plays it back, the bigger it gets. We just get ourselves depressed. I don't know if you did. When I was a teenager, I'd break up with a girl. I'd go into my room and tape player on. Yeah. It's like a little thing. It's like taping it and it rolls around in a spool. Plays music. A little bit like an MP3, but you can see it. And sometimes you'd have to fix it with a pencil. Remember that? Now we kick the computer. I remember breaking up with a girl, Fiona Jones. So depressed. 
I was like 13 or something. Oh. Putting the song. Freddie, do you remember Freddie Fender? Anybody remember Freddie Fender's like some country sort of singer from the state? If he brings you happiness, then I wish you both the best. It's your happiness that matters most of all. <laughs> if he ever leaves you blue, just remember, <laughs> I love you. She take care of it felicita. Man, I must have listened to that song too many times. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, I don't know. Because <laughs> you just play it because go over and it just gets bigger. You know, you've got to avoid the playback. Why? Now you can play something romantic. Good man. We're still in the same key? Cool. Can you play it where you backmask stuff on that? Like, Secret messages reverse that people don't know it's a secret message. <laughs> you gotta avoid the playback. Here's what happens inevitably, we come to that place like, why? Our brain wants to track down, trying to find out why. Why did Rich die? Why did I walk? Why? My mum got it. Why? 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 And <laughs> I, I think. It becomes, I remember I'd say that as a little kid to my mother. Why? Because it does. But why? Because it is. But why? We're sort of like that. We're sort of like, we're sort of like that. Well, why? Do I go to, but why? Why? But, but I found out this. Even if you know, got the answer, why? Like whatever you've walked through, however what it hurts, if I could give you the exact answer, intelligent answer, why you experienced what you experienced. Would you then go, oh, that makes sense. It's all good. We'll just roll on from here. There's a huge chance that that's not going to change the hurt you feel. So for me, I, I don't even worry about the why. When people walk through a tragedy, I don't try to explain a why. I don't try to give them a why. Because sometimes you just can't answer the why. I notice from here, Jesus does not reciprocate to her with a why. He does not go into a discourse explaining why every relationship fell apart. He was just there and he ministered to her. I found out that the answer is never in a why. It's just in a who and a help. It's just in Jesus. She runs back to her city changed. Come and see a man that told me everything. I, I'm having this experience. Theologians say she's like the first person in the Bible to actually receive Christian salvation. There are people's lives that get impacted because the story of her life. Well, never because of a why, but by the who. Because she met Jesus. That's why we're here today. If you don't know Jesus, that's why we're here. We're here as a church to introduce people to Jesus because He came to heal the brokenhearted, that He's got an agenda and that's to get you whole. That's why we're here that every week, that's why we celebrated on Friday night because over 40 students got their life right with God. We were able to introduce them at a young age to Jesus so they could overcome the hurts they're already experiencing. They're never in a why, it's always just in a who. And then inevitably, just standing back and going, help. I didn't waste any time trying to find out a why. I was just, help. I just, I, I just need help. My dad just needs, you just need to be healed. And that's why we're here this morning. 
the very first thing Jesus said when he stood up to preach. He goes, I want to let you know what I'm about. I'm here to heal the brokenhearted. You've got to let go of some stuff. But get, let, let go of the right stuff and embrace the good stuff. I want the band to come right now. Maybe everyone can stand with me right across this place. And just stand in your seats. And I encourage you not to leave. And uh, We're only going to be a couple of minutes, so I, I, I'm not going to drag this along. Why don't you close your eyes right across this building right now? Maybe you're not right with God. And somebody invited you into church. and Maybe you just came along. Maybe you just saw the building. I wonder what that's like. And you just popped in. And I don't know how you got here. But if you are here today and you're not right with God, you've never prayed, no, never asked, Jesus, take control. Jesus, come into my world. Jesus, I need to know who you are. Please make yourself real to me. You may not understand it all, but there's a search in your heart. I need to connect with God. My life needs to be different. And we like to take time at the end of every service to be able to give people an opportunity to get their heart right with God. Sometimes there's no one. But this question is so important. It's probably the most important thing we can ever ask you. It's where are you at with God? And so we ask it, whether there are people who respond or not, because it's not a more important thing we can ever ask you than this. Are you right with God? Where's your, are you allowing God to heal you? Are you allowing God to change your world? And so if you're here today, and then maybe there's only one of you, you're the most important person in the room. Because in essence, that's how valuable you are that God put this whole thing today on just for you so you could get your life right with Him. You're here today, you're not right with God. You've never asked God to take control, make yourself real to me. You wanna do that today. Or maybe you're here today and you did that once but got hurt. Maybe you walked through a hurt at home or a hurt in church or a hurt in your world and you walked away. You've come home uh, today, you're visiting, you're trying to reestablish. You need a brand new start in life and relationship with God. Or maybe you're in church and maybe you've come because of a spouse or a, a parent or a brother. or You're just here because of somebody else. But today you're here and you say, John, I need a brand new start in my life and my relationship with God. I need Jesus to come into my world. I need Jesus to take control. I, I, I need to experience His healing power, His grace and His love. I, I want to do that today with eyes closed everywhere. If that's you and you are honest with yourself, you say, I need that. You're only one prayer away. We're going to pray that prayer in about 10 seconds. If that's you, can you do me a favor right now? Just lift your hand to God and lift your hand roll high and say, that's me. I see a hand right over there. A hand just over here. I can see your hand. Is there anybody like that today? You can put it down. Just lift it up real high. Say, John, that's me. I, I need a brand new start. There's a hand right over here. Oh, I can see a hand over there. Yeah, God bless you. Anybody else? Just lift a hand. Oh, I see a hand through here, sir. Anybody else like that? Just lift, a, lift your hand up real high. Say, that's me. Is there anybody? Last time I'm going to ask. Last time I'm going to ask. And we're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for you. Is there anybody else like that? Anybody else? Just lift it up real high. We have four or five people that raise their hand right now. Let's all pray, but if you raise your hand, I want you to make this your personal prayer. Somebody will come and explain the next steps to you, but let's make this your personal. This is a beginning of an amazing journey to bring health and wholeness to your world. But church, let's all pray. If you raise your hand, make this your prayer. Say it right now. Say, Jesus, come into my world and take control. Today, I'm asking you for a brand new start in my life and a brand new start in my relationship with you. Please forgive me of my sin and help me to forgive those who've hurt me. I pray for my life that you'd make me whole, you'd make me well 
heal my pain, heal my brokenness, and set me on the path for full recovery, that I would be the person that You created me to be. Not bitter, not angry, not disappointed, not frustrated, not full of fear, not full of anxiety, but I'd be full of peace and love and have a sound mind. So invite my world today. Make all things new. That's my prayer right here, right now. Amen. Amen. Come on, somebody give Jesus Christ a round of applause. Thanks, Pastor John. How good was that? It's great. Uh, I, I believe God is healing people right now just through that message. Individuals, lives. And I, I don't know, you know where everyone's at or how it spoke to everyone, but I, I do believe this, that healing has come. And so you just need to take hold of the healing. Of the who? Jesus. So let's give Pastor John a thank you very much. It's a word in season. That's great. Right now, if you just want to grab a seat, uh, I just want to um, give us the opportunity to bless Pastor John and his ministry. And we're going to take up a love offering. And uh, I, I believe this uh, is that we invite people to come and speak a minister to us that have great ministries and they minister to the whole body of Christ. And I want to encourage us as a church and as individuals this morning, we're going to take up a love offering for Him, for His ministry. But it's really, I see it as this, is we've heard a word, we've received a word. And now what we're doing is we're planting into good soil. Is that we're planting in, not just for ourselves, but so that we can partner with what Pastor John's doing around the nations of the world. So this morning, I, I want to encourage you, if you, some of us didn't come prepared, but on the way out, as you pay your tithes and offerings and you put your card through, say, hey, that's my tithe. This is my love offering. Also online, if you want to put in a love offering for Pastor John, you can do that. But this morning, I want to encourage you, church. You know, let's be part of this. Be part of the healing that comes through his ministry in the lives around. Father God, I thank you for Pastor John and the amazing ministry he has and the faith that he brings and the, the voice that he speaks across the nations. And today, Father God, we partner with him and what he is doing and his family. And today we pray for a blessing over his ministry. Lord God, that it will touch lives that we may never meet. But God, I thank you that we can be part of it today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, amen. Can I take that up? Thank you, guys. Well, I'm excited. Decisions Friday night, decisions this morning. How good's that? How good is that? It's unbelievable. That's what we're here for, the local church, the hope of the world. And so tonight, don't forget, tonight, Pastor John is going to be ministering again. Uh, I've said, you know what, just let loose. He is phenomenal. Yeah, he was quite contained this morning. He was very contained. I was watching, I'm like, okay, he could go anywhere here. And George leans over and says, you know, he's, he's holding himself back a little bit. He's hold a lot. Yeah, a lot. Very restrained. And so tonight I just said, you know what? He, he has a prophetic edge. He does. 
He has a prophetic edge, which is unbelievable. And I just said tonight, you know what? We start at five o'clock. Let's start. And so tonight, if you want to come back, I've just said, hey, let loose. And I won't guarantee what's going to come out of his mouth, but I know that it will be a prophetic edge. And our lives will be changed. And tonight, how about you come back? Worship God. How about you bring a friend? Bring someone that's maybe never come to church. Maybe it could be their opportunity to find the who tonight. So church, it's going to be a great day. We'll see you all tonight. How about we stand up praising God as we go out. Thank